On this day, we come together again to reflect, to remember, but above all, to recommit to the future. Yeah, Memorial Day. Another rant from him. It was, I mean, on Memorial Day, but Memorial Day, this one was perhaps more significant to me than anyone ever before. I'll tell you why in a second. But what he did yesterday at Arlington National Cemetery, this is not presidential. And, oh, it was definitely a little bit woke and weird. That generation of service members who died for a future grounded in freedom, democracy, equality, tolerance, opportunity, and, yes, justice. We use those words all the time. Yeah. But he used a word there, and yes, justice. That's code for all kinds of things, all right? He doesn't say law and order. He says justice, restorative justice, affirmative action, apologizing for white privilege, reparations for slavery, that kind of stuff. That's what he's all about, because he wants to impress the left, and he has to. He's owned by them. He made all these promises because he's an older white male, and in their perverted world, somehow that's a bad thing. He alluded to the troops, and they fought to protect democracy. I wonder what the troops would say back on June 6th of 1944, D-Day, when they took France, right, and liberated it from Nazi Germany. If they could imagine what we're going through, were they fighting for this? Were they fighting for this? Um, it's kind of crazy and totally inconceivable. But it's actually happening. All right, let's get on to some better stuff. I was at an amazing event yesterday, and they invoked Ronald Reagan. This line from Ronald Reagan. He used it throughout his presidency, but it was first uttered by him, we believe, all the way back in the 1960s and at his inaugural for first term as governor of California. You and I have lived too long with this miracle to properly be appreciative. Freedom is a fragile thing. And it's never more than one generation away from extinction. It is not ours by way of inheritance. It must be fought for and defended constantly by each generation, for it comes only once to a people. And those in world history who have known freedom and then lost it have never known it again. Now that's how a president is supposed to talk. What leadership. And he was speaking about enemies, I mean, more traditional enemies, right? Enemies overseas, Nazi Germany, uh, something along those lines, maybe Imperial Japan. But we were safely protected by the Pacific Ocean, somewhat the Atlantic Ocean. Then it came to our shores, September 11th. Uh, we fought back. We fought back hard. We fought back a little bit stupidly in Iraq. And ultimately, we lost Afghanistan, but I can get my hands around those kinds of enemies. I can understand them. I despise them, but I can understand them. I can't understand this. I can't understand how people in our own country will say that this is somehow beautiful and righteous and must take place in public schools at taxpayer expense. It is happening. I can't understand that people in this country would say that this is economic justice, but it's happening. It's happening. Or that riots where police are assaulted and property is damaged is somehow considered a peaceful protest or not having a border is somehow a policy that you can campaign for president on and tell everybody to surge the border. And that, of course, Leah Thomas is a champion female swimmer. 
This is dangerous stuff, and it's coming from within. Now, we have to, as a country, I believe, and we're not doing it as a country because a lot of people don't agree with us. They think everything I just showed is absolutely wonderful, but it's not. And this is why yesterday was so important. It was the first Memorial Day I ever went to a ceremony with my three-year-old daughter, Annalise. And I thought about, well, what's in store for her? I can protect her now, but pretty soon, teachers, television, technology, smartphones, politicians, celebrities, you name it, all that's going to be coming at her and telling her what we just saw is somehow normal, even good, even glorious. I want to go back to those guys who hit the beach in 1944, right? Think about what they sacrificed. It's time that we start sacrificing, each and every one of us. We don't have to do this. We don't have to risk our lives, but we have to get out there. I want to show you some heroes. Maybe you've seen them. The people who go to the school board meetings and say enough. They are heroes. That man who said, hands off my daughter at that Loudoun County school board meeting, and they tackled him and they disrespected him and they put him in handcuffs. That man, that man's a hero. And I put him right up there with the Marines on Iwo Jima. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, for the rest of us, look, we have to get involved. And we all can. Now, during World War II, even Vietnam, uh, you, to be part of the struggle, you had to be what? A man between the ages of 18 and 26. And a lot of people were bystanders. They, they didn't fit that criteria, so they, they missed out. But we all can do something here. Take a look at this picture, please. This is uh, a solemn transfer. Our Marines and soldiers coming off that C-5 at Dover Air Force Base in 2021. And this, is a, this is kind of an interesting facet of human life, but I know many people in the military and out there in general who will risk their lives for their country. Absolutely. Just like that. Risk their life for their fellow man. But they won't risk their careers. They won't risk getting inconvenienced. They don't want to be bothered. They'll risk their lives. But short of that, uh, I'll watch it on TV. We all have to start doing something. I don't know exactly what it is. We got to, whether it's write letters or picketing or running for office, vote, that's a given. But look at what they did. What can we do? There's so much we can do. And I'm not just talking about going on Twitter and saying stuff or going on Facebook. That is a losing platform, okay? It all evaporates in 10 seconds. Nobody cares. And it's all controlled by liberals anyway. They'll never let us win there. And it's just a waste of time. We have to get out into the real world and start doing things. Don't you think, right? Lawfully, of course, that's what I'm talking about. Writing letters, making an appointment to see your congressman, talking to them. And who knows, you've got talent. Everybody's got something. You hear about these guys who are really good at rapping and they saw the stuff at Target and they said, we're going to make a song about it. And it's totally awesome. Yeah. Target, target, yeah, they target, and target, target, yeah, they target, kid. 
Is that also for what? There's, attention all shoppers. There's a cleanup on every aisle targeting kids. That's what they're doing. And they need to be called out on it. And they need to be boycotted. And this is a creative and beautiful and successful way to do it. Take a look. They're number one on iTunes right now. Uh, the Boycott Target song with uh, these guys. Uh, uh, who are they? Uh, <laughs> Nick Natoli, Stony Dude Bro, and Forgiato Blow, and Jimmy Levy. Great guys and very talented. May we have a little bit more, please? The new story, target, targeting kids. They going after our youth, and yeah, they do it like this. If you ain't mad yet, well, then you better be pissed. Let's protest until they close and they ain't gonna be missed. Why they got pride shirts in the kids' clothing section? Why they trying to mess with the kids and give misconceptions? They manipulating minds and making evil impressions. Got little boys tucking out by the time they teens got depression. Hey, that's good. I mean, I know they talk very, very fast sometimes, hard to follow. Uh, they try to mess with the kids and give misconception. They manipulate in minds, remaking evil impressions. Got no little boys talking by now, by time 18's got depression. Makes sense. It makes sense. And I, my hat's off to those guys. And if you can rap or sew or tweet, whatever it is you do, do it because... My little girl is counting on you, okay? <laughs> I want her, when she's my age, I want her memorial. I want that flag to mean something, and I want to have a country, okay? And what do you say? Let's do it. Let's do something. We all could be doing more. No more binge-watching crap. I'll be right back. As many of you saw the result of the photograph of me at Lafayette Square last week, that sparked a national debate about the role of the military in civil society. I should not have been there. My presence in that moment and in that environment created a perception of the military involved in domestic politics. I agree. General Milley should not have been there. He should not have been a general in the United States Army. He has no business wearing those four stars. No way. His apology, this mutinous man apologizing for appearing with the president 40 feet behind him, Right after the Black Lives Matter protesters, rioters almost burned that church to the ground, remember? And he made a conspicuous apology, very political, very dastardly. And now he's almost out of a job, all right? And he's being replaced by this individual, Charles Q. Brown. And oh, by the way, he could be almost as bad as Millie. That's what I'm afraid of. So he got famous in 2020, just as General Milley was saying things that were totally out of his lane and totally political, he did the same thing about Black Lives Matter and George Floyd. Yes, it went viral. It was crazy. That's one of the reasons why Joe Biden said he picked him. General Brown gave an unflinching video testimonial sharing his own experience of racism and his deep love of our country to which he has dedicated his entire adult life. It took real backbone and struck a chord, not only with our military members, but with Americans all across the country. So three years ago, the general made a viral video, and that's why he's being named chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I thought, I don't actually remember seeing this video. I ought to check it out, find out what's so good about it. It's not. It's terrible. He should have been fired for this. We can't have military generals involving themselves in politics. I don't care what they look like. Take a look. As the commander of Pacific Air Forces, a senior leader in our Air Force, 
and an African-American. Many of you may be wondering what I'm thinking about the current events surrounding the tragic death of George Floyd. All right. He said, I'm the head of uh, Air Force Pacific, and all you airmen are wondering what I'm thinking. This is not true. You don't know who the commanding general is. The airmen, the pilots, they are not thinking about you. He did this proactively. He did this for a reason. I was in the military. I'm telling you, you just didn't sit around wondering what the general thought of politics, okay? But he went there, and he dug himself a big hole. Uh, but, hey, he got a promotion out of it. Next. Here's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about how full I am with emotion, not just for George Floyd, but the many African-Americans that have suffered the same fate as George Floyd. I'm thinking about protests in my country, tis in the sweet land of liberty, the equality expressed in our Declaration of Independence and the Constitution that I've sworn my adult life to support and defend. I'm thinking about a history of racial issues and my own experiences that didn't always sing of liberty and equality. He seems to be very resentful of the United States and its history. Resentful. I think the general probably should have taken some time off if this is how he really felt, instead of encouraging soldiers, airmen, to have a chip on their shoulder about our ancient past. Sorry, but it is. Next. I'm thinking about my sister and I being the only African-Americans in our entire elementary school and trying to fit in. I'm thinking about then going to a high school where roughly half the students were African-American and trying to fit in. This I really can't help him with. I'm sorry. At one school, there are too many white people, and then it's 50-50. He's upset with both scenarios. This is the kind of stuff, if you're a person in his position, you start an anonymous Twitter account and you start tweeting away. Mitt Romney, Pierre Delecto, okay? He did it. That's what you're supposed to do, General. This is what you're thinking. You're not supposed to say everything you're thinking. Uh, yeah, in life, not just in the military. But he goes on. I'm thinking about my Air Force career, where I was often the only African-American in my squadron, or as a senior officer, the only African-American in the room. I'm thinking about wearing the same flight suit with the same wings on my chest as my peers, and then being questioned by another military member, are you a pilot? I'm sure that happened. It happened to me. Are you a pilot? Because lots of people wear flight suits, not just the pilots. Take a look at this airplane. It's called the C-5. It's amazing, by the way, he never really talks about airplanes, okay? He just talks about race. So that has a lot of crew members in it. It's a big airplane, and they all wear flight suits. In that group, only two guys are the pilots. In this group, only two of the women are pilots. I presume the ones closest to the steering wheel. How's that, huh? They're all wearing flight suits, though. And he's taking it personally. I don't think he took it that personally during his career. He does it now, though, because he could exploit it for his own benefit and, yeah, to take a big shot at Trump. Next. I'm thinking about my mentors and how I, rarely I had a mentor that looked like me. Mentors. He resents the people who looked out for him, who coached him, because they're white. I was in the military, too. I had instructors. I didn't have many mentors. And if any, it's a license for everybody to have a grudge. I mean, really. I'm thinking about the airmen that have lived through similar experiences and feelings as mine or who were either consciously or unconsciously unfairly treated. 
And what are we supposed to do about that unconscious stuff? The unconscious stuff. You're going to train. You're going to train. You're going to, you're going to use Air Force time and money to fix that situation. Yeah, that's what they're doing right now. I'm thinking about how I can make improvements personally, professionally, and institutionally so that all airmen, both today and tomorrow, appreciate the value of diversity and can serve in an environment where they can reach their full potential. Yeah, diversity in the military, it actually doesn't go together. It's uniformity. It doesn't matter what you look like. You wear the same uniform. I mean, does this look diverse? All these beautiful planes on the tarmac? You know, he didn't say one word about airplanes. All right? I mean, this is the important stuff. He doesn't have time for it. He's too busy passionately promoting himself. And he's not the only one. In the summer of 2020, Mark Milley, after apologizing for appearing with the President of the United States because it could have been seen as political, weighed in on every hot-button political issue of the day. I am outraged by the senseless and brutal killing of George Floyd. What we are seeing is the long shadow of our original sin in Jamestown 401 years ago. We are still struggling with racism. We have much work to do. <laughs> so you see what's going down here? You got two four-star generals in the heat of a presidential campaign speaking about race and domestic politics in a way that, well, let's face it, political reality here was designed to work to Biden's advantage and to Trump's disadvantage. We noticed, and I think Trump noticed, actually, I noticed a... Uh, when General Brown was actually promoted to the head of the Air Force uh, sometime later, he, um, he was awkward. He was being lavished. Praise was coming his way from President Trump, all right? He was thrilled to meet the guy. And CQ, as they call him, was awkward and strange and didn't even thank him. First of all, um Appreciate the honor uh, to be back in the Oval Office. It was uh, back on January 15th, I remember right. it well, right. uh, when I came here for my interview. And I appreciate the trust and confidence uh, from you, the Vice President, Secretary Esper, Secretary Barrett, uh, General Goldfein, and the rest of the Air Force leadership. It is a distinct honor for me to, to have this opportunity. And so I felt very honored and blessed. And uh, I enjoy serving. So uh, I really thank my family because uh, uh, they get a vote. You see what's going down? Uh, he appreciates this. He enjoys serving. I appreciate it. How about a thank you? They know what they're doing. They were trying to trip up Trump every step of the way. And I know he sensed it. When Donald Trump, he didn't give up on the guy, you know. Listen to this and watch. Do it. Greatest country in the world. And you have all those brand new F-35s, you have all that. You have equipment like you didn't have two or three years ago, I can tell you. Congratulations. You. Congratulations, everybody. And the president leaves. There was a chill in that room. They weren't kind to him. And I actually think they violated their oath of office to trip up and sabotage his administration. Absolutely. And back to General uh, Charles Q. Brown. You know why he did what he did, why he got to be where he is? Because he had a father, a great man, a career officer, 
who stayed with him and brought him up and was there every step of the way. By all accounts, they were very close. And, and now the general is there for his family, his sons. And I know this from Barack Obama. And it's a problem in every community, but nowhere more than in the African-American community. Fathers who go AWOL, MIA, who don't do their job. General probably should be talking about airplanes more and our next war. Instead, he wants to talk about race. If he really wants to talk about other things not related to warfare, he could talk about fatherhood. It will be a hell of a lot more helpful and not race. I'll be right back. Hey guys, it's Carson for 4 In a startling description, the UN food chief warned the world with the words knocking on famine's door. He called what we're facing a perfect storm of a perfect storm. And he's not alone. Barron's published that a food shortage could be coming even in the U.S. Farmers see it too. John Boyd, a fourth generation farmer, says we're going to see empty food shelves in the coming months. That's why survival food is more important than ever now. Create your own stockpile of the best-selling 4Patriots survival food kits. It's not ordinary food. We're talking good for 25 years, super survival food, hand-packed in a family-owned facility in the United States, giving jobs to over 200 Americans. They have different delicious breakfasts, lunches, dinners. You can make these meals in less than 20 minutes. Just add boiling water, simmer, and serve. And right now, for the next few days, listeners of Newsmax will get 10% off their first order at 4Patriots.com by using promo code Newsmax. Now, that's number 4Patriots.com. Go to 4Patriots.com, use promo code Newsmax, and start your stockpile today. Oh boy, uh, being an Uber driver these days is what an adventure. It can be very, very difficult, very, very violent. And, uh, you know, some of these drivers really should be armed, don't you think? And uh, as a passenger, I wouldn't mind if they knew what they were doing, but some of those Uber drivers, eh, maybe we're not so sure about them. Uh, there is a new service, uh, it's called Black Wolf. And the guys are armed with guns and they have a great car service. Check this out, please. You got Uber and you got Lyft. Now you have the Wolf. Here's the biggest difference. Your driver is an armed driver. You have unarmed and you have armed. They're both trained, highly skilled drivers. Follow us on all platforms, IG and TikTok. We're coming soon, 2023. The Wolves will be running. Wow. All right. Well, there. this is it. Black Wolf. You can download the Black Wolf app. Go to blackwolfapp.com. Kerry King Brown is the founder and CEO, and we just saw him in that little video, armed drivers that you can use to drive you, basically like an Uber service. But uh, these guys are very, very skilled. Welcome, Kerry King Brown. How are you? Uh, interesting idea. Congratulations. Thank you, Mr. Greg. I appreciate it, man. You bet. All right. So where are you right now? How many cars do you have? And uh, just give us an idea how big the business is. When did you start it, by the way? To be honest with you, we, we launched about three weeks ago. Um, potentially, we were actually going to launch in June. Um, that was our potential uh, start date. Uh, we are about 15 cars uh, right now, and we're still adding. Um, we're at uh, 25,000 registered users. We're north of 600,000 downloads, and, and that's in counting. 
I should point out, you've done security work for Marjorie Taylor Greene, and that's got to be, look, she's getting threats from all over the place, so that's a very sensitive job you had there. All right, so these yeah. guys, I take it, maybe the insurance thing must have been a bit of a, you know, was that, was that difficult? This is only in Atlanta at this point, right? That's correct. We're, we're, we're only in Atlanta for right now. We're actually expanding. Um, I will be going to L.A. Uh, extremely soon. We're going to Vegas, Dallas, Houston, Miami. Um, so those those are our pinpoints right now. Um, and, and with the insurance, yeah, it's 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 a little bit high. Um, but again, it's something my team and I uh, we focus on um, and to ensure the safety for our, for our clients. Is anybody giving you a hard time about this? I, you know, I, I know some some local law enforcement they get bent out of shape. Uh, but you're a licensed security guard. I don't see that there, there there should be a problem. But has there been any opposition? No, I mean. Honestly, I've been getting a lot of love from um, law enforcement, military guys, those are the, that have been in the private sector. They have been showing me support 24-7. Um, nobody on that level has shown me any negative um, thoughts or any negative comments. They, they actually embraced what I've created. Excellent. All right. Now, here's the, well, I don't know if I can embrace this. It's pretty expensive. <laughs> I mean, let's like to look at it. If you get an unarmed driver... The base rate is $50 in addition to $1.75 per mile. That's an unarmed driver. And it goes up to $60 for an armed driver. I mean, are you more of a, uh, it's not just I want to go, you know, to this bar or to that. I, I want to hire you guys for the night, right? You want, right. You're going to a big event or something like that, and you need security. Correct. So uh, the uniqueness of the app, uh, the driver is actually your close protection agent. That's actually your bodyguard. Um, and, and the rider is, is our client. We see it as a detail. We don't see it as a regular ride. We treat everybody as if it's a detail. Um, whether you're going to a bar, a museum, the movies, uh, we are your protectors for that day. Um, and our prices are actually based uh, and, and similar um, to Uber Black, Uber XL. Now, let's say uh, I'm your customer and I have a gun. Um, do I have to tell you that? I'm just curious. I mean, and as you know, when you do this stuff from at a corporate level, everything's got to be. Do I does the passenger have an obligation to tell you whether or not they have a weapon? No, no, they don't. They don't have an obligation for that. Um, whether or not they have one or not, they're they're responsible uh, for themselves and having that weapon um, on their hip or whether it's exposed or concealed. Um, anybody that has a weapon obviously has to have to go through the right uh, avenues to even uh, be able to have that gun. Um, so, you know, if they do have a weapon, I'm pretty sure they're they're very smart enough um, to know how to handle that weapon. Yes. Hey, all right. And by the way, you know, sometimes the passengers get out of line. You've got the best customers, I'm sure. And these rates, you're going to weed out a lot of crazy people. Um, but you know, we have seen Uber drivers, not your, who need protection from the passengers. Are they high profile type people or like, and, and who are you most afraid of or who are they afraid of? We're not afraid of anybody. Um, our right. clients, our clients range from the everyday American um, to politicians, to athletes, to actors. We're, we're, we're welcoming everybody. But at the end of the day, we want people to know that we are to be respected as we will respect our clients. We're, we're not a, we're, we're, this is not a service where we want to exclude anybody. We want to include everyone. Well, it's very intriguing, and I wish you luck. Uh, BlackWolfApp.com. BlackWolfApp.com. Only been around for three weeks, but Kerry King-Brown, I have a feeling this is going to be big. Congratulations. Yes, <laughs> Thank you, Wade. You bet. And we'll be right back.
So really sad news here at Newsmax. That is Carlos Ramos, 52 years old, and he died yesterday at the age of 52. We're told it was a heart attack. And Carlos Ramos was a gifted photographer, and he worked at it very, very hard as well. Uh, many, many decades here in New York City. He was particularly close to uh, our correspondents, including Sarah Williamson. Uh, they worked very well together, and he just took care of the photographers. He was passionate about the story. He was a passionate storyteller and a gifted storyteller. And he would take his work home with him and turn packages at night on his home computer, uh, way above the, uh, the call of duty, really. Um, he leaves behind his wife, Maria, and two children, and I'm going to miss him. Um, he's just, he used to take a scooter to work. It made me very nervous. I try to talk him out of it, but uh, we had some laughs about that. And uh, I'm just so saddened, and we are all, and our hearts, and, and yes, our prayers go out to the the family. It's still okay to pray in America. And uh, Carlos Ramos, we are going to miss you, sir, very, very much. All right. And now this. So Bruce Springsteen, the Bruce, Bruce, I'm not a big fan. Anyway, he took a fall. Watch. Yeah, he fell down in uh, Amsterdam during a concert and it made a lot of news, but didn't look like much of a fall to me. And he's fine. And he's back to being his liberal pain in the neck self. Sorry, I know there are big Bruce fans out there. I like the Born in the USA song, but he's kind of too woke and left. And uh, he hangs out with Barack Obama. They did the most obnoxious podcast together in the history of podcasts and how obnoxious they are. This one, who Now, these guys, first of all, for two hours, they walk around admiring each other, just how cool we are, right? Aren't you cool? I'm cool. We're cool. And then the most preposterous thing is said about Bruce Springsteen's fans by Barack Obama, and Bruce agrees. Who remembers Clarence Clemens, right? The saxophonist, he was amazing. We all love Clarence Clemens. I remember when he did a, a solo album in the 80s uh, with Jackson Brown. It was great. Anyway, listen to this little uh, give and take about Clarence Clemens. In an ideal world, what Bruce and Clarence portrayed on stage was essentially a reconciliation, right? Yeah. And redemption. That's right. But most of your audiences were primarily white. And they can love Clarence when he's on stage, but if they ran into him in a bar, suddenly oh, uh, yeah. the N-word comes out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The N-word comes out if you meet Clarence Clemens in a bar. This is what he thinks of your primarily white audience. It is disgusting, absolutely disgusting. Barack Obama never had any respect for this country, none. He used us and he fooled so many of us. These are good people, America, good people. The N-word, horrible. How he got elected to anything. All right. So China uh, says they're going to the moon by 2030. That's uh, seven years from now. Could that be China there? They got the spacesuits and they got the wave down and they're getting on that little bus. Well, they have a very active space program. Elon Musk uh, says he's impressed with it. And uh, I guess it's going to happen eventually. It does feel like we're slipping and they're advancing. But remember this. We did that almost 60 years ago ourselves, 55 years ago, whatever it was. We were on the moon in 1972, the last time, December 72, 51 years ago. And oh, by the way, when we were there, we had a blast. I was strolling on the moon one day in a merry, merry month of December. Now, May, May, when the much to 
my surprise, a pair of bony eyes. Doop, do 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 do. Then Harrison Schmidt and Jack Schmidt, the last two astronauts on the moon, all the way back in December 1972, and the Chinese think they can do that maybe by 2030. All right, we got to turn it on. I, we, they're planning to go back next year, the Artemis program. Now, the thing is, in 2024, if it happens, we're only going to slingshot around the moon. We're not going to land. And we did that in 1968. All right. I hope this happens. I miss it. I miss it. We should be there and we can't let the Chinese beat us, even though they wouldn't really be beating us, but in a way they would. All right. I'll be right back. At the end of the day, we need to govern. We can't get exactly, exactly what we want. But the one thing, if you read through this bill from the cuts and the savings, the highest ever, from the rescissions, bringing money back, from cutting red tape so we could build things in, in, in America again, from doing work requirements for welfare. I mean, these are all positive things that Republicans have always dreamed about getting. And uh, we just got a victory here. We just have to get it through to make it law. Ah, all right. Speaker McCarthy on Greta a little while ago. He's happy. Are these things Republicans? Is this the deal that Republicans have always dreamed of? Is that what he said? Congressman Ken Buck, Republican of Colorado, Freedom Caucus member, ranking member of the House Judiciary and Antitrust, and I can go on and on. He's a big deal in Congress. <laughs> Welcome back, Congressman. Are your dreams fulfilled by this deal? Greg, this is a nightmare. It's not a dream. And uh, what we're looking at is $4 trillion of debt added to our national debt for a total of $35 trillion or more. Uh, it, this is not a, a dream of any kind. They talk about a billion dollars here of savings and a billion dollars there of savings. Only in Washington, D.C. do you accumulate $4 trillion of debt in 18 months and talk about savings. This is, this is a disaster, and I'd be very surprised if a lot of de uh, Republicans vote for this. They'll get a lot of Democrat votes for this bill, but they won't get a lot of Republican votes for it. Is Speaker McCarthy's position in jeopardy? I mean, that was something I think they're, they're, the power is there for you guys, enough of you to remove them. I mean, that was one of the deals that you made. I mean, how un this is pretty unpopular with you and your colleagues, although it does have support. Is he in jeopardy here? Are you going to try something? Well, I think what's going to happen is after this vote tomorrow, tomorrow evening sometime we will vote on this, and after this vote there will be discussions about the motion to vacate and whether it's going to be appropriate to bring that motion or not. So it's premature to make any kind of predictions at this point. It's going to take a good 15 or 20 people who are committed to uh, removing the speaker uh, over, this, over this bill. But I do think that at some point uh, that the, uh, the failure to comply with his promise that we would uh, stay with the 2022 uh, uh, appropriations numbers, uh, that it's going to be meaningful. All right. Now, look, the big thing that I'm disappointed in has like, I think they went from 87,000 new IRS agents to about 85,000 new IRS agents. All the IRS agents are still in there. But I'm a little bit confused. I mean, you have people, uh, institutions like the New York Post saying, Kevin McCarthy, it's a, it's a win for Republicans and the nation. The key is that it advances the GOP's controlled spending agenda significantly on multiple fronts. Most crucially, uh, it starts reducing federal outlays immediately. Look, there are people who are saying this is a great deal. How are they getting it wrong? 
Well, they're getting it wrong because the devil is in the details here. When you look at each one of these provisions, um, it, is, it is just minuscule compared to the huge amount of debt that is going to uh, occur. You look at the timing of this. The, this uh, goes until January 1st, 2025, when we have a new Republican president sworn in on January 20th. This is going to be a crisis that they are going to hand over to a new Republican president. So th they, they have timed this uh, for the best uh, Democrat purposes and the amount. Uh, serves their needs. They will. They. This is an unlimited amount. They. They. All they did was say that the debt ceiling is uh, good until January first, twenty twenty-five. They didn't set an amount on this. So if they go to five trillion, six trillion, they can keep spending. And and that's what's really unfortunate about this is uh, our negotiators didn't have the foresight to understand that uh, the Democrats have a huge win here. You're going to see a lot of Democrats voting for this bill, and you can see uh, President Biden uh, touting what a great job he did during his negotiation. If we can go to video of Joe Biden and Kevin McCarthy in the Oval Office and, you know, you think, OK, these guys are going to be negotiating together and they don't do all that much negotiating. You just mentioned staff members. And on their side, they have somebody called Shalanda Young. She is the director of OMB, Office of Management and Budget, I believe. And uh, here's her kind of convoluted way of saying things. With this deal, is this an admission by the president that maybe the government spent too much money over the past two years? What I'll say is we're in divided government, and both sides have thoughts about the trajectory of the country of spending. This president takes a backseat to nobody on deficit reduction. Oh, I'm sorry. It was so direct. This president takes a backseat to nobody on deficit spending. I have my uh, severe doubts. All right, so you told us how it's going to to play out. Technically, there will be a vote tomorrow, and then what? Uh, you know, what about... What's the problem here? Kevin McCarthy, career politician. You know, I did hear this, that one of the things that they want, they want some things for people to be frustrated over for the general election so that you guys, that Republicans have more to run on next year. I think that's very cynical, but apparently that's the way the pros look at it. Like the thing with the uh, agents, you know, if, if you would if you would won this battle, you wouldn't be able to run on it next year. That's how some of the politicians talk, you know. Greg, this is a surrender. This is a absolute surrender to the Biden administration. And and what he's what what the speaker is surrendering is the Republican majority in the United States House. This is uh, the the idea that somehow Republicans uh, are so strong that the American people are going to line up and reelect Republicans in the House or frankly in the White House. Uh, this this damages our brand and and it hurts our chances in 2024. We'll be watching this closely. It's very important. Thank you, sir. Good luck with all this. Good luck to the country. We'll be right back. All right, one more time. These guys, these uh, rappers who want to boycott Target. Absolutely. I don't care what the left says. We're always saying, oh, the boycotts don't work. They got to do something, right? It's got to get their attention. I hear they don't care. They care only about their... What is it? Uh, equity score, their uh, credit equity index, the woke index that LGBTQ uh, organizations care about. They care about the bottom line, too. And these guys are awesome. Yeah.
target, target, yeah, they target kids. There's a cleanup needed on every aisle. This is brilliant stuff. Now, as for who they are, I, I'm unfamiliar. They've been wrapping some MAGA stuff for a long time, but Ford Giotto Blow is the main guy, Kurt Jantz. He's been doing this since at least 2016. He's a pioneer of the Trump hip-hop subgenre MAGA rap, and I am all in. One more. Here's a new story, target, targeting kids. They going after our youth, and yeah, they do it like this. If you ain't mad yet, well, then you better be pissed. Let's protest until they close and they ain't gonna be missed. Why they got pride shirts in the kids' clothing section? Why they trying to mess with the kids and give misconceptions? They manipulating minds and making evil impressions. Got little boys tucking out by the time they teens got depression. That is art. That is beautiful. I love it. All right. So, hey, where is it again? It is number one on iTunes. And, you know, big tech and those people don't want that at all. So they had to overcome a lot of hurdles for Giotto and the gang and the crew. Well done. And I'll be back tomorrow. All the best.